Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hello and welcome to Humans of Excess Manchester with me, Clint Boone. Every week, we'll be celebrating the spirit of Manchester by speaking to somebody who's helped shape the city. This week, I'm joined by Ricky Hatton, MBE, former three times light welterweight and welterweight champion of the world, promoter, trainer, charity patron and mental health speaker. He's going to tell us about his journey into boxing and realising his dreams. When I first laced the, the boxing gloves on, I kicked off on the journey of trying to be something. Never thought that this would ever, ever no. happen. And he's going to tell us about his struggle with mental health during his boxing career. If I had people thinking to me, say, look at him now, big time Ricky Hartner, he's forgot about all of us, it would kill me. It would absolutely kill me. I'd chuck all the belts at the bin if I thought people thought that of me. It's a great pleasure to welcome to Humans of Excess Manchester, a man who became one of the most beloved and inspirational British sportsmen of all time, and a man uh, who completely symbolises the spirit of the city, Ricky Atten. How are you? Great to be here. Good to speak to you, Jim. Ricky Atten, MBE. Yeah, yeah, MBE. Yeah. Yeah. MBE. Never, never thought I'd got, get one of them when I first started lacing the gloves on, but uh, yeah, it's uh, a lot of things what I did in my life was uh, pinch, your, pinch your time tackle, you know, so yeah, um, yeah been uh, had a good ride and... Uh, 
Very, very proud of the support I got, mainly from Manchester, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We'll talk about that in a little bit. We'll talk about your career, obviously. And I must point out, we're actually sat in the middle of Ricky Atten's actual boxing ring in his gym in Hyde, just outside Manchester. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm still sat on my arse now, so. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, yeah, still proud for me. I'm very proud. I could have probably put this gym anywhere in the country, you know, because of the, the success and the love I had from so many people up and down the country. But um, I've always been close to my roots, you know what I mean? I was born five minutes down the road in Hattersley, so he was only ever going to be in this area, to be honest with you. I'm very proud of where I come from, yeah. I totally agree with what you just said, but you could have settled probably anywhere in the world. You could have settled in America and done this, couldn't you? Yeah, with yeah. The, with the profile that you've yeah, attained with the, over the Yeah, the fights years. with Mayweather and Pacquiao and Castillo and Costa Zoo, even though I won that fight in Manchester, which was my best win. He was um, he was a real household name in Amer in America. So yeah. I mean, and even now when I go to America, just been over there with Tyson Fury when he fought for the world title, and um, it's amazing when you walk down the road and you're halfway across the world, and people from halfway across the world still recognise you. It, yeah. You know, makes you feel very proud. It's a brilliant thing. Let's talk about your uh, your childhood. You born in 1978. Yeah, well, I was actually I was born in Stockport, Stockport. Yeah, uh, Stepping Hill Hospital. We lived in Hayfield, but my mum and dad were from Hattersley. And pretty much, uh, I consider myself a Hattersley lad. I mean, I was always, you know, um, you know, trained in Manchester and just Hattersley, just right on the outskirts of, of Manchester. But uh, if people say, you know, you know, where was I born? You know, even though it was Stockport, I'd always, you know, like to say Hattersley. I went to school there. Mm. All my present friends are, are still there. The same mates I've always had from from day one. And um, I haven't moved probably. Oh, since I've been, since my whole life, I've probably not moved out of a, you know, six or seven mile radius period, you know mm. what I mean? So, uh, I, yeah. I think that's normal for a lot of uh, working class people in these parts. Like my family, the same, they've not moved that far outside of the, uh, like you said, five, six miles radius. But for a superstar in his profession like you, it is more unusual for you to be still living in those same streets, isn't it? Yeah, well, I, I, I suppose so. I mean, I got everything I dreamed of, you know, when I think, the gym that I come to work every day that we're sat in now when I look you know when I come driving to work every morning makes me feel proud I'm always I never forget you know what you know you know what what they where they come from you know this gym mm. you know and I've, I've got the house I always dreamed of you know I've got the car I always dreamed of you know but I I never you know most people would probably move to areas in and around Manchester which you know like Alderley Edge or somewhere like that and you know and there's nothing wrong with them places got lots mm. of friends uh, from up there but it just wasn't wasn't for me I think if I moved in Alderley Edge I think give it a fortnight all the for sale <laughs> sound all the for sale sign that signs will be going up on all the houses but uh, no I um, you know I've got everything I dreamed of but here I'm, I'm close to my family I'm close to my friends the friends I went to school with and, you know, even before anybody knew Ricky, and I had a lot of support from around this Hattersley Hyde and Tameside area, so, yeah. uh, and the Manchester area in general, so I never really wanted to move too far to field, yeah. And people in these parts have a, a perception of Hattersley as being one of those pretty tough council estates to grow up on. Is that how it was for you in the early 80s? It was, yeah, to be honest with you. I mean, the, the school I went to, Hattersley School, you know, Hattersley High School, did me no harm whatsoever, you know what I mean? I think Hattersley, you know, has the reputation because... And this area in particular has a few bad incidents that seem to hog the limelight. You know, we had the Moors murders mm. from Hattersley years ago. Uh, and in recent, more recent years, just down the road, we had uh, Harold Shipman, Dr. Harold Shipman. And then there was the shooting of the two police ladies um, on Hattersley Estate, you know, at the, at the Tesco um, 
supermarkets. So these, uh, they're always going to grab, you know, the, the the limelight or the highlight, if you if you like, of 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 the area. But some of the nicest people you'll meet, you know, are from Hattersley, and that's why I choose to stay around in the area. And um, you know, it's I'd like to think, you know, of an area that has had nothing. You know, it always used to upset when people used to call Hattersley and Hyde because I'm you know from from that area mm. but i think you know sometimes when they mention all them things they might chuck my name in and put a bit of good back into the uh, a bit of good back into the area and he's still trying to do so in in the sense that my gym has brought a lot of jobs to the area you know a lot of people come here every day and train you know um had a lot of you know a lot of people have a lot of happy times here and uh, i'm still trying to give a little bit back even though i'm not um, slinging the hooks as they say now yeah how do you get on at school um, never really took an exam, to be honest with you. And I still see, I still see some of the teachers that I went to school with, knocking about, and they always, they always say to me, you know, Ricky, you was never no trouble at school. You was never no trouble, you no miver, no trouble, no fighting. You was no trouble at school. You just never used to do nothing, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that was it basically. And I tell uh, my my son Campbell. And even though they, you know, when I go around to, to schools and I'm speaking to the kids and stuff like that, you know, not everyone can be a boxer, not everyone can be a professional footballer, not everyone can be a TV star or anything like that or a singer. But, you know, you, you know, if, if I hadn't become a boxer, I wouldn't have been, I don't know what I'd have done. You yeah. know what I mean? I'd have, you know, jobs are hard these days. I don't know what I'd have done if I hadn't been fortunate to be a boxer because, because I was so... Not bad at school because I was so bone idle at school. You know, I always said I'm going to be a boxer. I'm going to be a boxer. And if I hadn't have done, I'd have found myself in a whole heap of trouble. You know, so you've got to. It's like my son now, Campbell. He goes to college. He, you know, he, he studies sports science. You know, he's got himself two little part-time jobs. He's boxing himself now, and he's done it his, well, off his own back. And I think that's what you've got to do. You know, you may have a goal of dreaming of being something, but there's no guarantee you've uh, you're going to get there. So you've got to try and keep your you know a few irons in the pot if you type thing. Yeah. And when you're growing up then, who are the people that most inspired? Not not just <coughs> boxers, but musicians, other sportsmen, actors, comedians. Who are the people that you looked up to? Well, you know, you know, Muhammad Ali was obviously a very, very iconic uh, people. I used to look up to, I was always a big Manchester City fan. And although at the time I was growing up, we was hopeless. But um, <laughs> at the time, I say, but yeah, uh, but there was there was so many people at, around Manchester. I mean, the 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 Oasis boys were coming to the forefront just as I was breaking through as well. We sort of like come through together, yeah. And um, they were big inspiration because I loved the music. You know, I always used to have my music in the gym when I was training, when I was fighting, and I'm very fortunate that I become friends with them. But just. Not through the, you know, they're, they're a little bit like me, really. They're what you see, what you get, a little bit of rough and ready. But, you know, they've proved that, you know, they, you know, you, people from council states, whether it be boxing, music, we can do it. And that's and that's what it was. And they've become friends for me. And I think, you know, when I'm at Manchester City now, you know, I'm very fortunate. I've met the manager and I've met some of the players and friends with some of the players and, and stuff like that. And it's, you know, unbelievable because... When I grew up, I wanted to be a world champion. I wanted to listen to Oasis and support Manchester City. <laughs> and I've, I've sort of like ticked all the boxes in. Nolan Liam carried the belts in. You know, the, uh, they, they welcomed me at the club. You know, I'm just sort of like, like one of the regular faces around there at the club. And as I said earlier, when I first laced the, the boxing gloves on or kicked off on the journey of trying to be something, never thought that this would ever, ever mm. happen. Another one of your heroes was um, similar rags to Rich's story, wasn't it? Uh, from a poor family in America, Elvis Presley. Absolutely. Well, my place is called the, 
the Heartbreak Hotel. I, I, had, it, yeah. <laughs> I had it uh, <clears throat> registered as a Heartbreak Hotel and it has had a bare bit of heartbreak over the years because, I mean, you know, I, I was a very much, you know, um, successful story to then have that bit of a bit of a downward spiral story to being back on top and, su and successful again. So in them four walls over the years, there's, uh, it's not just been, you know, holding your trophies up, having a pint of Guinness and having a few parties. There's been a few <laughs> sad times as uh, as well. And uh, so it's very, very fitting. You know, I've always been a big Elvis fan. Went to um, went to Memphis to watch Lennox Lewis versus Mike Tyson and we called in at Graceland. And um, yeah, it's uh, a big Elvis fan, big Johnny Cash fan. He... Uh, Things about doom and gloom and moody and stuff yeah. like that, you know. And I'm very, I've had so many smiles and so many frowns in me in my life, and uh, each and every one of them, whether it be the good times or the bad times, have made me the person I am today. How did you get into the boxing? When did that start? When did that become uh, not an escape? Is that the right word? An escape from what you were in and what you could become? Uh, not really. You know, most people, you know, you you know, I come from Hattersley Estate. And uh, as much as I love Hattersley Estate, sometimes when you leave school, there's there's a couple of roads you can go down, isn't there? You can either go on and try and do better, or you can go into like, the usual thing, what what the high majority of people on council estates do. Uh, but I was very very fortunate that you know um, we, we we I come from a, a good family. It wasn't wasn't you know we wasn't loaded. We was far from rich, mm -hmm. but we never really <clears> wanted for anything. My mum and dad worked very very uh, very hard. Um, so I, I never like council estates or in America ghettos or anything like that. I never sort of like had to fight my way out of poverty if if you like, you know, type thing. Or I wasn't a bad kid where I was going, you know, I was robbing and stealing and, and you know, fighting on the streets and, and stuff like that. It certainly wasn't the wasn't the case. I did kickboxing first. Because as a youngster I was I used to love Bruce Lee films. Absolutely loved the, the Bruce Lee films. So then I went to do kickboxing and had a bit of go with kickboxing and tie boxing and I just um, wasn't very good with my feet because I've always been a little shorty. So um, what, I was, what I found, I had a talent with my fists, but because I was so short and stocky, I was getting my head kicked in. <laughs> so um, so then my, my kickboxing coach said, why don't you go over to the boxing club and give that a go? And uh, it basically went from there. But I think whether you do kickboxing or boxing, it's a very acquired taste sport really, you know. Your first time you get hit on the chin or you know or, or, or belted, you either like it or you don't. And I I fell in love with it, funny enough. And then it basically went from from there. I started winning a few national titles, and then I boxed for England as a schoolboy. And then I started going around the gyms, professional gyms in Manchester, and people started saying really good things about me. And I thought, well, if these people are saying I've got half a chance, and that's what gave me the belief to 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 carry on and take it on a little bit more full time. And you had an amazing career, didn't you? About 48 fights, you won 45, <coughs> 32 of those were knocking people out. Yeah, well, you know, I, um, <laughs> two of the defeats were um, from probably modern modern day greats and probably arguably two of the best of all time in Pacquiao and Mayweather. And the other defeat was only when I um, decided to make me come back like any fighter. You know, you sit on your settee thinking, have I got one more and have I got one more? Mm. And I thought, well, I'm, I've got myself and my life back on track and I'm healthy and everything. Let's give it another go because you don't want to look back and, on your career and say, you know, any regrets. So I made me come back and I found out that I hadn't got it anymore, you know, and um, I was able to move on with me the rest of my life from, from there on in, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's one of them comeback fights where I've not made a comeback and I got beat up and bashed up and stuff like that, you know. I, I got the answers I wanted to find out. There's uh, a lad that beat me maybe a few years ago, he probably wouldn't have done, you know, and... Uh, 
And that, you know, sort of like told me, like, listen, Ricky, you've got to go into a time now and look down another route. And at the peak, it was phenomenal, wasn't it, seeing tens of thousands, literally, British followers getting on planes to come and see your box over in the States. It was incredible, the following that. Were you worried at the time? Did you look around and think, it's a bit bonkers, this? No, I, I always had good support from day one. Um, but when it, um, when it got to the fights in America and the Vegas fights, it was like nothing that we've never ever seen. And I'm proud, proud to say this, I hope no one thinks bad of me, for any, any British boxer that there's ever been. I mean, Frank Bruno, my friend, went over to, to Las Vegas, you know, for fights with Tyson. There was 10,000 was. And, you know, the, I think the least I had was 10,000 that went over there. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, for the, like, I think 10,000 went for the Castile fight. And then for the Mayover fight, it was like 30,000. Pacquiao fight was 20,000. Malinaji fight was 15,000. You know, I'm not saying I'm the greatest British fight there's ever been, but nobody has ever had support like that. But it... I had support from Manchester from day one. There was a couple of fighters that were also coming round at the same time. There was me, uh, Michael Gomez uh, and Anthony Farnell, who were there from the Collierston Moston boxing gym in Manchester. And um, we were both coming up at the same time and we were all intercontinental titles. We were all fighting on the same bill. We were topping the bill at bowlers. We were topping the bill uh, in, in, in Wigan, just down the road and places like that. And we were building up a fan base together and... Um, but I think, I don't know whether it was my style and, you know, and the way I was body punching. And obviously because of the wins that I had a little bit further on, was my, my fan base, instead of being just local, went nationally then, if you like, you know, and it, it just spread from there. But we did it together, me, Michael Gomez, Anthony Farnell, Jamie Moore was was another fighter. He was a very good trainer in Manchester now. He's doing brilliant uh, in the Oliver's gym up there with all the boys. So it's, um, you know, I think... Me, Michael, Jamie, Anthony Farnell helped make Manchester boxing what it is a little bit today, really, because the champions return out in Manchester now for this little city, seen as the British capital of boxing, yeah. Manchester, you know what I mean? And it's it's from people like Gomez and like Farnell and like myself, like Jamie Moore, Michael Brody, Ensley Bingham, Kyle Thompson, you know what I mean? We We... People have looked at us coming up, kids looked at us as we were coming through, and that's why the amateur gyms and everywhere is packed now. I think it come from the early days. Brought a bit of character to it as well, didn't you? But yeah. the funny thing is, that even at your peak, you were, you were sort of famous for, when it was fight time, you'd become toned and focused and fit, and then as soon as the fight was done, you'd just start partying. <laughs> was that because that's just wanting to have a normal life like your mates, rather than being hedonistic and... Lack of self-control. It's more. I want to party because I'm a human being. I'm from Atters. I wanted to go for a drink with me. Yeah, little, little bit, little bit of, of both, really. I mean, I always, um, you know, I always wanted to be a world champion. I always wanted the things to come with being a world champion. Nice house for my family, and you know, try and provide for my family and, and stuff like that, which I'm very proud to say um, I did. But um, I always had a little bit of a, you know, bit of a paranoia side to me in the sense that, you know. When I started being successful and I could never get my head around when stories were in the paper of me, you know, how well I've done them. I was on TV with the fights. And I, you know, at eight, uh, I, I always crazed that. I've got to go, I've got to go to Natasley for a pint. I've got to go for a pint in the Aero Tavern. I've got to go for a pint in the New Inn because I don't want people thinking I forgot my roots. That was always something that was really, you know, if I had people thinking to me, say, look at him now, big time Ricky Hartner, he's forgot about all us. It would kill me. It would absolutely kill me. I'd chuck all the belts in the bin if I thought people thought that of me. And I've always tried to maintain that 
closeness to the area and to my fans and you know and and, and to that and I think that's why they they support me. I, you know, I, I always. You know, uh, you never got me on a red carpet. You never got me on in the jungle. You never got me <laughs> at this. You never got me there. Just never entertained me. And I think, you know, some, you know, I think I just remained close to my roots. You know, where's Ricky? He goes watching City. He would stand on the, he would sit on the stand with a pie and a bovril. You know what I mean? He would sit, he would play darts in the pub with his mates having a pie. And that's, that's, and nothing has changed, even though life has changed a great deal for me with what I've achieved. I still do that stuff today. And I think that's why people have always, always um, supported me. Because I think the, the fans that support me, whether it was Manchester, London, Sheffield, Leeds, Yorks, anywhere, the the fans could relate to me. We'll go and watch him. He's a he's a Jack the Lad. He's a character. He's a laugh a minute. He's a room. He's a room little so and so. Do you know what yeah. I mean? We'll go and support him. And and <laughs> he's not bad to watch as well. So I think yeah. all things considered, I think that's why I had the fan base because they could all relate to me. Yeah. He's one of us. You had a few years after before you did the comeback. So 2009, you stopped boxing. 2010, you started having problems. You went into rehab for addiction and booze. That must have been a pretty dark time. How did you get through that? <coughs> it was, did, uh, did you still feel that support that you had? Uh, always had a lot of support there, but I think the thing with, with uh, depression, mental health, and stuff like that, you know, you don't mention mental health back then because everyone thought you was a nutcase, you know. But now it's becoming more prominent and more. You know, people see it as a proper illness. But I used to get proper depressed. And I used to get depressed early on in my career, you know what I mean? I, I used to walk down the street paranoid. As I mentioned earlier before you, we, we, well, we've been speaking, I used to think to myself, I used to be walking down the street and I was getting paranoid that people think, look at him big time now, you know what mm. I mean? That was sort of like me. And if, if I felt that way, I'd get down and depressed on yeah. it. But it sort of like started when the Mayweather fight came along. That was the first defeat of my career. Um, and I have, you know, 30,000 fans went over to Vegas and, you know, I thought all oh, these fans have come over to support me now and I've paid all that money and I've let them down and I've got beat. And it doesn't matter whether people say, well, it's Floyd Mayweather, Rick, come on, you know, give yourself a, don't give yourself an hard time, give yourself a break. It, it doesn't matter to me. I generally felt like that. So then when I was walking out because of the depression that I had, I was walking down the street thinking, look, is everyone laughing at me? Is everyone disappointed? Is everyone, you know... And that was sort of like the, the, the start, really. I made a comeback fight at the um, City of Manchester Stadium against Juan Lascano, where 60,000 turned mm. up to support me in my comeback fight from Manchester because I was thinking of chucking it in. And then the best way the fans could, you know, support me and get behind me was 60,000 of them turned up. Was that the biggest ever crowd <coughs> for a... British boxing match. Is that a I think I don't. I think it might have been at the time. I know Carl Frock and George Groves boxed each other in Wembley, and I think they got about eighty thousand or hundred thousand. But you mm. know, um, I think mine was um, against Juan Lascano. Nobody in Manchester or Britain had ever heard of Juan Lascano. I mean, so to get sixty thousand, <laughs> and I think there was fifty thousand gone before the opponent was announced. Yeah. But the, the the manner of me performance wasn't great. You know, it wasn't one of my best performances. So. I was really trying to, you know, should have packed this in now. And then I fought uh, Pauli Malinagi in Las Vegas. And it was my best win since I beat Kostya Zou in Manchester to win the undisputed title. And it sort of like redeemed my confidence and that I was right to, to carry on. But my frame of mind was going up and up and down. I was down for the Mayweather fight, you know, down for the City fight. Then I was up for the <laughs> Malinagi fight. Mm. And then around that time, I fell out with my mum and dad. Um... 
And I fell out with Billy Graham also, who was my trainer, which I'm, I'm very proud to say me, me and Billy have realised that the reason for the fallout wasn't our fault now and we're mates again now, which is yeah. lovely because, I mean, if I can't celebrate these great times without Billy Graham, I don't want to celebrate them. But, yeah. uh, and I fell out with my mum and dad, so this was after the Malinagi fight, so I was, I was up for the Malinagi fight. Then I was back down again and then I got destroyed by Manny Pacquiao. So... Um, so now I sort of like reached a stadium in life where I didn't care whether I lived or died. I really, really didn't. Because you, you, you were suicidal, weren't you, with it? Well? Massively, yeah. And I mean, not just, you know, not just every day when I went to the pub for a few beers. If you've got depression, you've got to be careful with the drinking. It just makes things all the worse. Yeah. But I was, whether I went to the pub or whether I went to it or not, even if I just had like a couple of hours on my own where I could ponder things, I was wanting to kill myself. I was getting the knives out and I was thinking, how am I going to do it? Should I, should I, should I jump in front of a train? Should I do this? And I never <clears> I never <throat> had the um, the bottle to go through with it. I wanted to go with it. I was crying and crying. I thought, and I, was, I used to say to myself, God, you was a champion getting through so many of them fights and you can't do this one little thing, you, you, you know, you, you're so-and-so. And it was a real, real horrid, terrible, terrible, terrible time for yeah. me. I've seen what depression does. I've seen it firsthand, and it's like it's like having a really, really nasty next door neighbour that never really moves out of town, and it's always there. Do you find that doing what you're doing now, you're still in the ring. We're literally sat in a ring now. This is your day to day is training other people to be boxers, helping them to become boxers. Does that sort of positive thing help to keep that stuff at bay? Yeah, keep, got, keep that nasty neighbour away. Yeah, you've got you've got to find positive things to do. And like I said, when you have depression, you know what I mean, you know, and if you go for a beer with depression, once you've had a few beers, you feel right as rain. <laughs> but then when you get up in the morning, it's worse. And that's what we've found with mental health now. That's what medication does. You know, when, when, when Frank Bruno got sectioned a few years ago, just give him a tablet just to ease the pain for a few hours. Mm. But it doesn't, you, don't ease the, you don't ease it full stop. You just you just you just putting it on on the side for a for a few hours or a few days, but it always comes back. So you've got to find positive things to do in your in your in your life now. And when you think you know, once you've once you've boxed in front of sixty thousand or twenty thousand or thirty thousand, going over to Las Vegas, you know, singing there's only one Ricky Hatton, and then all of a sudden that's not there no more. That's a hard void to fill. That's the biggest drug you'll ever have. Mm. You know, forty thousand fans. Drinking Las Vegas dry and taking over the place, you, you know that's <laughs> that's never going to be replaced. But you've got to replace it, otherwise, you know you 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 go under. And I replaced it. You know, I had a little baby girl that wasn't planned. She came along, that made me feel better about myself. I started becoming. I'm a boxing trainer now, and I, the the lads that I train are like my second family. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You know, I'm trying to put myself in their shoes from where I was years ago. I know it means so much to them. So. I throw every punch of him in the corner. My son Campbell's coming along great. He's boxing as well now. I go doing motivational speeches about you know mental health and stuff like that. I see that as much of my job now, so yeah. nobody gets to the to the bad place where I was. And I think me my days are full now, and yeah. um, he's <clears throat> full doing positive stuff. And I think that's the big uh, that's the big thing. What you what, what we've all got to do. You know what I mean? You you know. You know, you can't do football forever, you can't act forever, you can't play music forever, you can't box forever. Sooner or later, when that goes, and when you've had that such high mm. doing, you know, cause, I mean, as hard as boxing was, I loved it. You know, and, you know, not many people get a job they love, and I got it. And then when it went, it was very hard, but you, you've, got to, you've got to fill your, fill your time with positive things. Yeah, totally relate to all that. Let's talk about Manchester. As you said, you're very much based here. It's obvious uh, from what you said that you, 
your roots are always going to be in this part of town. Attersley Hyde, probably eight or nine miles outside the city. How do you see the spirit of this part of the world in general? I just, I just think it's, you know, it's the, the, the mad for the sport. You know, we're, we're mad for our sport. We're very proud of our area. We're down to earth people. Do you know what I mean? There's, what you see is what you get. And that's not just for, say, Ricky Hatton as an individual or Nolan Liam or this or that. I think that's the gist of every household in Manchester. We're pretty much, you know, down to earth. We, you know, um, when the, the bombing, you know, in the Manchester arena, you know, when they went... I think that that moment, as as heartbreaking as it was, if you could sum up Manchester in one, you know, one chapter uh, chapter of how you know this little small city, you know, in 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 you know in the world, how we pulled together and 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 dragged together and supported each other and dragged each other f through that through that moment, I think that's just something that just sums Manchester up in general. There's been loads of things that have gone on in Manchester and that, but, you know, that's just another thing where you go, look, that's what we're about. Mm. Just how, look how we mm. pulled together. Look how we all got through that. Look how we supported each other. And that's happened, you know, it doesn't happen, things don't, as tragic as that, don't happen that often in Manchester. But when they do, we rally like no city in the world. Mm -hmm. And that's because of the people, not because of anything else, it's because of the people. Tell us about the Barnabas charity. It's a Manchester-based charity that helps homeless people with their, a lot of them have mental health issues or addictions. And you're a patron for Barnabas, aren't you? I am, yeah. It's, um, I feel so sorry when I got, and it's getting worse, the homeless situation. And it's not through the want of trying because we try really, really hard. And I feel sorry for you. You know, you see these people on the streets, you know, they've got, they've got no money, they've got no food, they've got no this. But more importantly, they've got, they, they've got no family. And more like at the, at the present time, you know, with Christmas coming along, you know, and you're going down there in Manchester, you know, and we're all on works dues and we're all on, you know, this and we're after work, we're having a few Christmas drinks with our pals. And you see these people there, I've got no money, no food and no family. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I fell out with my parents and I haven't spoken to my parents for seven or eight years. But Christmas is a, is a, is a time that is always very, very hard for me. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't matter, you know, you know, who's been right, who's been wrong, you know what I mean? I, I stand by my decision to do what I do, but it's still a tough one for me at Christmas mm. because Christmas is all about the family, isn't it? And when I say these kid, these people on the street, homeless, with no families, no nothing at Christmas times, it really does feel a lot for me. And to be honest, people, so, you know, I, I invest my money into the, into, into the Barnabas cause you know and people say well what are, you, what are you giving money to the homeless for they're only going to spend it on on drugs i said no it doesn't i said the money that i give or anything i do towards barnabas goes towards shelter clothing food and education to get them off drugs because I, I you know i've been there and i've done it and i i can i can relate to these people when you're that low down like these people obviously are sat on street corners freezing and hungry and everything like that with no families to look after them and nothing like that i've not been on a street corner but i've been there i've been there and i've done the whole lot so i want to try and you know help people because I mean, nobody's going to help these unless someone like me does or barnabas does and stuff like that so it's uh where people say the homeless may know we shouldn't be doing this shouldn't be doing that you know they'll get a left hook off me you know because i i feel the complete opposite i think we should be doing more with these people with drug problems that haven't got people to help them yeah Last year, Christmas Day, me and my family had uh, Christmas dinner in the city centre in Albert Square. We parked up on the edge of town and walked in. 
and I've never seen anything like it. It was a really nasty weather. It was like, you know, grey, blustery. And the only people in the city centre were the homeless. There was just nobody about. And it really brought it on to how uh, it, it intense the problem is. Unfortunately, we've got the mayor, Andy Burnham, who's doing his best to correct it over the years. So hopefully that'll get better. Yeah, absolutely. A couple more things before we get off. If I was to ask you, Ricky, who are your favourite humans of Manchester ever? Who would they be? It's very hard, very hard to, to say. There's been so so many, but the only you know ones I can relate to, are, you know, the peoples that you know that the people that have come from council estates, and that have and that have become successful. And there's no bigger bigger role models. Recent you know Mancunian that has really made me stand up and and take note is is, is Tyson Fury what he's done in the recent in recent weeks. You know, he started his fight. Um, in the United States against John T. Wilder when he fought for the World Heavyweight title in Los Angeles. I mean, Tyson was at everything very similar. I can relate to it a lot. Very similar in many ways, you know. That Tyson was success on top of the world, beat Klitschko, was the undisputed World Heavyweight champion. And then he started having loads of problems, you know, with, with drink and drugs and mental health and, and all these problems. And what he, what to see what he's done on this comeback. I used to go in Manchester and I used to be having a pint and I'd, I'd see him in the pubs around Manchester and he'd say, I'm getting in the gym next week, Rick. And I'd, I'd look at him and I'd, and I'd look at the size of him and I'd think, you know what? I hope you're right, Tyson, but I don't share your enthusiasm here, mate. I think you're talking through your backside. <laughs> but by, by God, has he proved me wrong. And, you know, to... So after two years, you know, to, to lose 10 stone in weight, 10 stone in weight, that's the weight I used to fight at. <laughs> yeah. He's lost it. And he had the problems between his ears with the drink and the drugs and the mental health and everything. And he just had two combat fights, went over to the United States, fought John T. Wilder. I think he was like, was it 39 fights unbeaten, 38 knockouts or mm. something like that. What a formidable record. And did what he did with everything he's gone through. And that second knockdown to get up from... And he got up and he said, I just wanted to prove, you know, that, um, you know, if I can get through what I've done with mental health and this and that and all the rest of it, you can do the same. And, and that was, that was, that was inspirational, you know, for me. If boxers have go through all this stuff, you know, you shouldn't be so shocked when you're going through it because it happens to us all. These tough fellas. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so yeah. I think Tyson is yeah. certainly one of my recent heroes. But anyone who's successful that's come from the cameras, Nolan Liam Gallagher, who's proved that, you know, they, they didn't just become successful in Manchester on the world stage. Madison Square Garden and places like that, they've done the, the whole lot. Yeah. And it's people like that that have come from nothing and been successful. And I can't label it out one person from Manchester. I think it's all of them that have turned around and showed that never die attitude that, you know, even if you come from the council state, you've got nothing. You can fight your way out, whether it's with a guitar, whether it's with a boxing glove or anything. Yeah, and you can make something of yourself. You know, you could have on your list of humans in Manchester because he came here to see you, Muhammad Ali. <laughs> Absolutely. Is well, this the actual room <coughs> that he came to by any chance? This was the actual room that he so came Muhammad to. Muhammad Ali's yeah. been in this room. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm having uh, that. The, yeah, it's, um, Did he mention me? It was, <laughs> it was in funny, but I mean, you know, inspirational people, he could be the inspirational people for any city in the world because yeah. they pulled it up in the car park and you can imagine the, the streets where they were all up the lampposts, they were all standing on the cars, they were everywhere, as you can imagine. And Muhammad Ali came in and he's, he's, he was of bad health at the time. Mm. And he got out of the, um, the the minibus and he went to get they went to put him in a wheelchair, and he threw the wheelchair wheelchair to one side and he went, 
I do not put me in a wheelchair and wheel me into Ricky Hatton's gym. And I thought, oh my God, Muhammad Ali even knows me. You know what I mean? And <laughs> and that's uh, and he come in and he, he couldn't he couldn't speak. You could see he was poorly and everything like that. Mm. But we had gold kids in from the local area and we had the pictures with him. We had the council in from from the from the Tameside area, and he had pictures with the kids and he took time and everything. And, and you could see he was poorly. And that's. You know that's 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 inspiration yourself because yeah. I mean I I'd got I'd just got past all my bad times, but you know you look at something with Muhammad Ali or that you think what the hell have I been moaning about all these years when you see someone like that mm -hmm. and still shows the drive and fight in him that he that he was doing inspirational stuff yeah. I've got a little boy called Cassius. He'll never box like Muhammad Ali, but he dances like him. He's a dancer. <laughs> He's the a shuffler, is he? Yeah, He's yeah, a shuffler. yeah. Right before we go, Ricky, describe Manchester in three words. I would say the people's city. Three Beautiful. words. And, and, and to be honest, you know, we've had so many um, things go wrong, you know, in, in Manchester, like all cities have. But I think, you know, we've talked about inspirational characters and inspirational people. I think there's only one thing you have to do, you know, when things go wrong in the city or in any of your, your cities, is for me to just, just look at the people and the spirit of the people. And it doesn't matter, you know, how many tragedies we have, how many bombs go off, or how many people try to hurt us. As long as you've got that spirit, we'll always win. Floyd Mayweather Jr., after he beat in 2007, said, Ricky Hatton is one tough fighter. He's still a champion in my eyes. And I think that's the way, that reflects the way that all British sports fans feel about you. He's still a uh, champion in our eyes. I think he always will be. Ricky Hatton, thank you for being a human of XS Manchester. My pleasure. Thank you. That was Ricky Atten. Make sure you join us next week where I'll be speaking to Park Life and Warehouse Project founder Sasha Lloyd just before the clubbing institution's last ever New Year's Eve at Store Street. Don't forget to follow us on social media. We are at Humans Excess and subscribe to Humans of Excess Manchester. Rate us. Feel free to leave us a comment as well. It's always nice to hear your feedback. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.